0: Alright, so as you guys know, we've been in the book of Acts, and uh, Acts, uh, we were two weeks ago, we had uh, Andrew Hager the last couple weeks, but uh, we're back in Acts now, and we're going to jump right here. This is uh, the Via in Geisha. this is the road, we've mentioned it before, it goes through Turkey, then it goes down through Greece, this is like the interstate of the Roman Empire, okay? And so it's interesting because when you look at where this road goes, uh, this is exactly the path that Paul has been traveling. And so this viangation, this is just some random pictures of different parts of it. And our our, uh, projector seems to be darker than normal. I'm wondering if it's starting to die on us. I don't know. But uh, I just love looking at these pictures because I think to myself, I think, I mean, these roads are Roman roads that are still around. So number one, I think, wow, the Romans really knew how to build build roads. Number one, that these roads are still around. But number two, I'm thinking... Paul the Apostle could have stepped on some of those stones I'm looking at right there. That's pretty cool. I love just thinking about that. These were the roads that he was traveling on uh, as he goes from Philippi to he's going to go to the city of Thessalonica today. But now, I'll leave that up there for another second. Um, I'm breaking up this next little piece, Acts chapter 17, into two parts, possibly a third, two parts. Um, This week, we're going to talk about the city of Thessalonica and Paul's encounters there. That's going to be chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, first part of verse 10. This is going to focus on the presentation of the truth, how did Paul present the truth to the people of Thessalonica. Next week, we're going to talk about the city of Berea, and if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard about the Bereans, and uh, we even use that as a nickname for Sunday school classes sometimes, and there's a certain reason for that, and we'll get to that next week, but Acts 17 verses 10 through 15 is where he goes after that. And when we're talking about that, we're going to talk about the reception of the truth. So this week is about the presentation. Next week, we're going to focus on the reception. Now, I want you to know that I haven't forgotten that conversion, someone that goes from not believing to believing is a work of God. We know that. I'm not going to forget that. Neither should you. But I'm going to say this twice. But trusting in the Spirit's work doesn't mean that we don't put forth efforts to participate in the Spirit's work. Let me say that again. Okay, Trusting in the Spirit's work. So you're trusting in God's work in somebody's heart. So you're presenting the truth of You're trusting that. Trusting in the Spirit's work doesn't mean that we don't put forth efforts to participate in that. We know that ultimately it doesn't rest on us. But that doesn't mean we don't want to make efforts to be as spirit like in our process as possible. Because we know that God, that's what God's going to do in these people's hearts as He, and the power of the Spirit, persuades hearts to go from not believing to believing, from rejecting to accepting. We know that that's a work of God, but man, I want to participate in that process as much as I can. So we keep that in mind as we talk about these things. So this week is important for two reasons. I'm going to give you two reasons why I think that you ought to pay close attention to what we're going to talk about this week and next week. The first reason is this. I want you guys to know when I'm up here, what's he up to? What's he trying to do? Right? Each and every week as I present the truth, what's going on in the back of my head as I'm thinking about how I'm going to prepare what I'm going to say? Because I know it's going to be a work of the Spirit in your hearts. I know that it's not up to me, ultimately. It's amazing. I've been in front of some of the most boring pastors in the world and still had some piece of truth because they were preaching from the Word of God, some piece of truth, sneak in there and I go, whoa. I've been in front of some of the most energetic, enthusiastic preachers in the world. And you know the thing is, Sometimes they really get me going, but there's no substance, and it doesn't last. It doesn't ultimately depend on the speaker as far as what's going to... God can do His work in spite of the skills that the speaker has. Like I said, that doesn't mean I don't want to participate as much as possible. Reason number two. So one, you know what I'm up to. I'm trying to participate in the Spirit's work. I'm trying to present my words the way I think maybe the Spirit might be wanting to plant them in your heart. It's kind of silly to think about this way, but I, in my head, I think I want them to have to do as little as possible to readjust the wording. I don't want everybody to be like, well, I learned something about God today, but it had nothing to do with Matt at all. I mean, I don't really want that necessarily either. I want to have something to do with it, but I know I really don't. But number two, reason number two. And the second reason is so important because, and, and I, I was hoping Denise would be here. she in the back? She's probably in the back. I don't know if she made it today. Um, the, it's so interesting because Denise is one of many. There's been several of you. I know Austin has brought this up before as well, and I think there's a few others that talk about, uh, now that you're getting to know who Jesus is, it's like you want you want everybody else to know who he is, don't you? You're like, Jesus is amazing. I mean, it's amazing what he does. And you start understanding the gospel, and you're, you're like, and then, then I've had a few of you come to me and say, I'm trying to talk to this person, and I'm thinking, how do I get from... I mean, Because they're way over here, and, and the, the gospel's over here, and I'm, I'm trying to bring them over to this place. And so my second reason has to do with that. So I want you to know why and how and in what way to talk to others when presenting the truth that's focused on that gospel message. Because see, you also ought to want to participate as much as possible in the Spirit's work. But you should also know that it doesn't ultimately depend on you. You could mess it up royally. And God can still use that. So, let's take a look at Acts chapter 17 with those two reasons in mind. Let's take a look at this. I'm going to go through the passage very quickly, with a little bit of commentary, then I'm going to come back and make about seven points of presentation of truth. Let's start here with this. There we go. Now, when they had passed through Amphipos, and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, I want to show you a modern-day picture of Thessalonica. It's actually a huge city. Um, Today, it's still called Thessalonica. Um, Huge, huge city in Greece. In Paul's day, it was the second largest city in Greece. Uh, It was the capital of the Macedonian area. So, this is a big. It was a big city in Paul's day. Much bigger city today. Um, they travel probably three days. Did you notice? I'm going to go back a slide here. Notice it says they pass through this, and I'm not going to attempt to say that name again. I messed up the first time. Am- Amphipolis. I went ahead and did it. And Apollonia. Um, it's about from Philippi. It's about 33 miles to Amphipolis. Okay, so that's about one day's journey. And then it was about 27 miles to Apollonia. So that's another day's journey. If you're going on foot or riding a donkey, right? Uh, And then it's another 35 miles to Thessalonica. So that's probably why these particular two cities were mentioned, because as we're talking about the journey from one place to the other, they're talking about their their stops along the way. And so they get down to Thessalonica, which if you add that up, it's almost 100 miles, about 95 miles. If you add the distances inside of each of these cities, it comes to about a 100-mile journey from Philippi to Thessalonica. So Paul's made this journey. And it says here, as Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, this is going to be important. We're going to come back and focus on this in a minute. But notice it does not say that he went in and preached to them. uses a different word. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So some of the people that they're talking to are persuaded. That's also important. We're going to come back to that. I love that Luke makes a point of mentioning that many of the women also were believers, leading women. And there's actually a lot of historical evidence that in this city there were leading women of the city that had prominent political power. But then we get to verse five. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble. And if you look at that Greek word, that's translated "rabble," it means rabble. I mean, we're talking like the low lives of the city. So they got together the the the, the do nothings hanging out. I'm picture these people, the rabble hanging out at the corners, nothing to do. And they get them all worked up. And you know what they're doing? Well, yeah, we'll you know they're just participating in whatever's so exciting for the day because they didn't have anything else to do. So they get some of the wicked men of the the rabble. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now this Jason, we find out, is one of the believers. So this is a brand new Christian. Can you imagine being a brand new Christian, brand new believer? You just heard the message of Paul and Silas. And next thing you know, there's an uproar, a mob outside of your house. Let's be honest. Would you be tempted to go, I changed my mind? This sounded good at first, but I don't know. Jason doesn't. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Jason doesn't. Verse 6, And when they could not find them, so they're looking for Paul and Silas, they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. In other words, treason, right? The king is Jesus, not Caesar. It's funny because they say they've turned the world upside down. In some ways, you could say that that's true, but I think they're really setting the world straight, are they not? Setting it right, right back the way it ought to be under King Jesus. These new believers dragged by the mob. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Uh Thessalonica had a certain status of freedom in the Roman Empire. They were considered a, a free city. And they, they owed a lot of their freedom to the, the Roman authorities. And so they, they had a different status, and that seems strange to us. In fact, they had a completely different form of government. And so this word that's translated, uh, the, the, the authorities, this is something that's just different than most of those cities. But they're disturbed by this. I mean, if they are seen to be causing trouble, the Roman government might have to say, oh, you're not a free city anymore. We're going to have to come back in and establish our own government. They're disturbed by these things, but they can't find Paul and Silas. So instead, when they had uh, taken money as security uh, from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So they basically, it's you know, pay your bail, and they they're out on bail. They let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night uh, to Berea, and so we're going to stop there. That's just the first half of verse ten. And so by night, the brothers, they come back and they say, Paul, Silas, you guys um, go ahead and go because they're out to get you. And Paul and Silas move on to the next city. So now I want to go back to the first few verses and focus on the presentation of the truth. And like I said, I've got seven points that I want to share with you based on some words in this passage. The first one is found right here. See the word Synagogue. Um, When I think about this, I want to think about it in these terms. Paul did this quite often. He found some common ground. And so so often when he would go into a new city, he would look for a place of common ground, some shared truth, something that we can agree on. Now, I'm going to think very practically as I think through this. This is so important when you're talking to somebody. If you can't find one point to agree on, how good of a conversation is it going to be? Horrible, right? Paul would often, he would, he would start with some point to agree on. And so that's why so often he would go to the synagogues because there was an established agreement on the Old Testament Scriptures. For us, many, I think, in our world today, in our culture, still hold the Bible to some significance, even though there's a lot of people that go, I don't know about this. Or that, there's still some significance. I'm always amazed that when I start talking about what the Bible says, there's still quite a few people in our culture that still go, well, that has some weight to it, Right? That has some weight to it. We have to ask the question, what do we do when someone doesn't hold the Scripture? And in a couple of weeks, we're going to really address that. Hopefully, uh, as we look, as Paul goes to Athens. In Athens, he doesn't start off that way. That that point of agreement isn't there. He doesn't start off with Scripture. And it's so interesting because you'll see that Paul will use secular writings as his, his grounding point, some point of agreement. In fact, he uses some secular works. He doesn't start off with Scripture right off the bat. He finds some things that they agree on, and that's where his starting off point is. we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when Paul gets to Athens. But he uses poetry, he uses stories that aren't in the Scriptures to find some common ground to be able to talk with people. The point is, you need to find some shared ground of truth. Second, did you notice this? How many days did he spend dealing with this? Three Sabbath days? So technically, what? Three weeks. Let me put it this way. Point number two, when dealing with people, you have to have this ability to take your time. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, this is a lesson I've had to learn gradually. So often when I want to talk to people about Jesus, I want them to believe right away. Anybody else like that? It's like you want to tell them about it and you, you, you don't want to go, in fact, let's be honest, some of us, we don't want to go through the, the work and effort of trying to get them to understand what we're saying. We just want to say, you ought to believe in Jesus. In fact, I think that evangelism went kind of uh, south, when uh, you know, just kind of detour in a, a bad way, when, when we think our, our point of evangelism is just simply saying, you know, you know, where you're going to go when you die? Uh, no, well, you're probably going to go to hell then, so you should believe in Jesus. Whoa! Okay, I mean, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that might have worked for a few people, but there's a lot of people that said, you know, well, boom, you know, <laughs> what, what have you done? You haven't, you haven't done this. And more importantly, what I want to point out is you haven't approached people the way Paul did. Paul was willing to take some time. Take some time. There's, there's time there. It's, it's not a rush. I know that sometimes we have that sense of urgency. Well, what if they're going to die tomorrow? I have to get them there. You know, their salvation is in God's hand. You, God has brought you to that day at that time for that reason, and you have to be aware of the, the pace that you can go. Sometimes you've got to take time to build relationship. Sometimes you need to take the time to build, and I'm going to use this word arguments. And when I say arguments, I know that has a negative connotation because you, you think arguments, you think, you know, Argh. okay, but to build an argument is to, to, to build a logical flow of thought. Well, if this is true, then then this is, and sometimes it takes a while to get people there. Well, I hadn't thought about that before. Well, if that's true, and we now agree on that, see what you're doing, you're taking that common ground and you're building on that truth, and you say, well, if that's true, then what about this? And, and sometimes people have to take a week to think about it. And then they come back later and they go, oh, You know, I've been thinking about what you said last week. I I think there might be some truth to that. And you kind of build the relationship. You build the, the arguments. You build the reasons. You bring people as if by the hand to Christ, right? Like a small child saying, you know, just a little step further. Just a little step further. Once again, this has been an important lesson for me as I deal with people and I talk to people. Just being patient in God's timing. Next one. Notice it says here, and I pointed this out a minute ago, it doesn't say that Paul preached there. It says he reasoned. He reasoned from the Scriptures. I'm going to put it like this, point number three, present your arguments. The word that's translated reason here does not mean preach, but refers to presenting of arguments, using Scripture as a basis, uh, or the engaging in dialogue and debate over the meaning of texts. We live in a society, we live in a culture that has a difficult time with debate. If we don't agree right away that people want to write you off, but that is not always going to be the way it is. You have to be willing to. In fact, I'm just going to throw this in here as well. Part of this debate aspect, if you want people to listen to you, you know what you ought to be doing? Listening to them. Taking time. Hearing what they have to say. Listening. Comprehending. where. The, in fact, I would say that this is so important to tie these things together because... There's quite often that once you start listening to someone, you figure out where they're at, and you can find those common points of truth and find something to agree on, and then you can say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to have to build from that. Sometimes it's a very small thing that you agree upon, and then you build from there and you go from there. This is exactly what Paul is doing. In fact, uh, he's using... Okay, I'm sorry. School's getting ready to start. I'm um, use a geometry term. Uh, one aspect of geometry is logic. I love logic. In fact, I took a class in college. It was just all on logic, how to think through things. And one of my favorite words to say is the word syllogism. I like to say it at school because when I say the word syllogism, it sounds like I've had a little too much to drink. So, <laughs> next, we're going to talk about a syllogism. You know, and it's, it's you know, the kids are like, Mr. Harmless, are you okay? And I'm like, I guess I'm just going to do a syllogism now. And, uh, you know, they're like, okay, he's weird. But uh, a syllogism is. It, let me give you an example. Uh, in my house, you might say, "If if the dog barks, then the mama's going to wake up." It's true. The dog barks, mama wakes up. Right, boys? Dog barks, mom wakes up. It, then you could say from that, see, okay, that's a true statement. And then you could say from that, well, if mama wakes up, she's not a happy camper. <laughs> true, boys. <laughs> Um, they they didn't want to agree. You're always a happy camper. Can I go home with anybody else today? Um, it, okay, so what could you say then? If the dog barks, what could you ultimately say? Mama's not going to be a happy camper, right? Do you, you, you see that flow of logic? If the dog barks, Mama wakes up. Well, if Mama wakes up, then I, she's not going to be a happy camper. So you can start to say, well, if the dog barks, man, Mama's not going to be happy. That is precisely what Paul is doing. He's using what we call a syllogism. Right? He's saying it, the Messiah, it was essential that he must suffer and die and raise again. Well, Jesus suffered and died, and witnesses have acclaimed that he has risen again. Therefore, what's true? Jesus must be what? The Messiah. And if you if you follow Paul's reasoning as he's talking to these Jews, that's exactly so. He's taken some point of agreement, the scripture, he added to that and he said, The scriptures teach. And he probably went to places in Psalms that talk about the, the Messiah suffering. And, and there were passages that the Jews were kind of confused on because they're like, Well, what? how does this tie in? Because I thought the sufferer is going to be a conquering hero. And, and, what is it? and so Paul's taken this point of agreement and he said, The scriptures are true. We all agree on that. But well, the scriptures teach Messiah must suffer and die. Jesus actually fulfilled those things. Therefore, what can we conclude? I mean, he's just taking them through a logical process. And that's exactly what these words mean. He reasoned with them from Scripture. It's the process of opening minds. In fact, let's get to this next one. It goes on right after this. is explaining and proving explaining and proving. So I'm going to put it this way. Point four, give your argument some substance. So you start to build and expand on the things that you guys agree on. So when you're talking to somebody, you might have to start with something very basic and you start building off those things that you agree upon. And sometimes if people believe scripture, you're able to say, well, the Bible says this. And a lot of times you'll find people go, well, I didn't know the Bible said that. And you go, yeah, the Bible says that. And you start bringing them to this place because you know where you're headed. But you give your argument some substance. My favorite commentator for Acts has been Ben Witherington III, and he put it this way, the process, these two words, he says, the Greek there means it's the process of opening the mind and the understanding of the hearers. I have to think about this all the time as a teacher. If I just get up and talk all the time, that's not always going to work, but there's a, there's a process sometimes of opening someone's mind up, trying bringing them from this place of what they don't know to something new. And for many people, that's exactly what they need to do. Many people in our, our society, our culture, have some very rudimentary understandings of Scripture. And one of our goals is to explain and prove to them who Jesus is, but then to take it that next step for many of our people to say, then what, you, what must you do in response to finding out who He is? But the process is there. For them, it was pointing to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews many times had a good understanding of how you ought to respond to the Messiah. For us, many might believe to some degree that Jesus is the Savior. I think there's many people I talked to. I used to joke, you know, Samuel's worked at McLean now. Amanda's worked at McLean. Uh, I think some of you other ones have worked at McLean possibly. But we used to joke when I worked there that everybody there believed in Jesus. I mean, you'd bring it up. You'd bring Jesus up. They're like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And uh, you'd be sitting there in your head thinking, when you say those words, I don't think they mean the same thing that I'm saying when I'm saying those words. It's a little bit different. But what they need to see is that Jesus, this one that is saving us, is worthy of so much more. He's worthy of our loyalty. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our obedience. This is the point that we must often time is focus on. People say, sure, I believe in Jesus, but they don't know what that ought to mean. And so we can start off with this basic understanding begin working them in, using Scripture, explaining and proving to them what it means to believe. Many people don't know what that word means. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it mean to believe that He exists? I think it's much more than that. This is why it says in places like 1 John, if a man says he knows God... Right? but does not do what God commands. He's a liar. You guys know the Scripture said that? A man says he knows God, but doesn't do what God... So there's a lot of people who go, oh yeah, I know God. I know who He is. But they don't do what God commands. The Bible says, well, you're a liar. You don't really know God is the lie. Or James, who says, faith without works is dead. In fact, at one point, James says, uh, if a man says that he believes in God, he does well, but the demons also believe and tremble. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, there will be many people on that day, many people who are ready to enter in. And I picture them with their bags packed, not that you can do that, but standing at the gate. And Jesus says, many, many people are going to stand before Him on that day, that one day, that judgment day, many people are going to stand before Jesus and He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And it's the most shocking thing because there are people who are shocked. Jesus describes it. And that's a scary scary truth. What's our job is we are explaining and proving the truth, using passages like this to bring people to say "Yeah, they say they believe in God but what do we just read from James You believe in God you do that's a good step the demons believe and tremble. Where are you at in this? But how do we get from that place over to here? So I seek to persuade you And see, I did it today. I seek to persuade all of you that are in this room that there's there's a salvation that is genuine before God, a genuine faith, that there's a real deal. But there's a faith that is just empty. Or like James says, there's a, a faith that is dead. Faith without works is dead being alone. So I seek to persuade you of that as we go through our Sundays week after week. But let me get to this next one here. And some of them were persuaded and joined. Some of them were persuaded. Now, I know that this sounds like we're digging into the, the listeners, and I told you we were going to do that the, next week, but keep it this way. Think about it this way. Keep, keep your goal in mind. This is so essential. This I know it's verging on the listener, but, but I include it here to remember what you are hoping for. So you're talking to somebody, you're trying to persuade them who Jesus is and that He's worth it, and they ought to follow Him, they ought to abandon their life, and whatever sinful things that they might be doing, and you want to persuade them to to follow after Christ wholeheartedly. It's easy when trying to persuade someone to make it personal, or to take it personally when they don't agree with you. Anybody ever been in that situation? Tempers can flare. Frustrations can arise. You want to say things like, what's wrong with you? This is so simple. What's your problem? And they're just not getting it. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not the way. This is not the way. Keep the goal in mind. Remember, it's not about you anyway. Jesus says that if we suffer, right, for His name's sake, when we're sharing these things, it's for His name's sake. And so as you're trying to persuade, you're trying to get them to this place, if there's rejection, they're not really rejecting you. Who are they rejecting? Jesus. You ought to be full of compassion because I wouldn't be surprised if there are many of you in this room that spent a long time rejecting Jesus. You've been there. If you come to this place where you're accepting of Him and following Him, you don't get the credit for that anyway. Be patient. Patiently wait for God to do the work. And I put it this way, keep your goal in mind. Your hope is that at some point in the future, those people will go, oh, right? Right? The light bulb goes on. It doesn't matter where you go. When somebody gets something, we, we, we almost can't stop ourselves from doing it. What do we say? Oh. Right? Oh. And that's what you're hoping for. You can't make that happen, can you? Doesn't matter how hard you try. You cannot make the light bulb go on in somebody's head. So you patiently wait for God's work, hoping for this, for them to be persuaded and to say, I'm in. Number six, that the Jews were jealous. I think that the Jews were jealous because these Gentiles weren't becoming Jews, they were becoming Christians. They weren't becoming proselytes and joining into Judaism, they were becoming Christians. And so what happens, they're like, there's a synagogue there, who knows how long they've been there, and all of a sudden somebody else swoops in and there's a bunch of people that start believing. But it's not what you were wanting them to believe. They become jealous. But I want to say this, point six, present the truth in spite of opposition. So as that starts to develop, and this flows right from our previous point, as that starts to develop, you've got to keep those things in mind. My goal is persuasion, but here's the thing, I know it's not about me. I know it's not about me anyway. I'm presenting the truth. I'm I'm, I'm praying to God. I'm trusting in His work. Paul will later write to this church in Thessalonica. He writes this in First Thessalonians. He says, "For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, not for an empty purpose. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we just read about that, didn't we? As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so, even when there's conflict going on, they continue to present the truth." This is not the only time that Paul talks about this. There are many times that Paul encounters opposition. Jesus encountered opposition. Lies being told about them. They weren't trying to reject Caesar. They weren't trying to rebel or commit treason. That's what they were being accused of. This has been an important lesson for me. Understanding that part of sharing the truth might mean people say false things about you. I think that's tough, to be honest with you. I think there are many that get up in arms when they're disagreed with. Let's be honest. Anybody in here get up in arms when people don't agree with you? Mm -hmm. I think especially in our country today, but we understand we ought to expect opposition. We ought to expect false accusation. You know, one of the biggest ones that I've encountered in my life, is when we start dealing with the morality issue, how you ought to live as a Christian. This wasn't as much of an issue in Paul's day because it was brand new. In our day, there's this this lie floating around, and this is what we were talking about just a second ago, this lie floating around that you can be a Christian and live however you want. The Bible just never, ever, ever teaches that. And it's tough because as you begin to address these areas of sinful living, Most people respond, not most people, but I'd say a big chunk of people will respond in in, in kind of a manner that says, you don't care. You don't understand. You don't really care about me as a person. You're so judgmental. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now, none of those things are true. I address morality purely out of love. Purely out of love. Think about this one for just a moment. Okay? Sensitive topic, sex outside of marriage. Rampant in our culture. I don't get up and talk about it. Even as I'm talking about it right now, I know it's easy for people to go, oh, what's he saying? He doesn't understand. <coughs> understand this. I know that marriage was created to be a picture of God's relationship with His people. It's a picture of Christ in the church. That's its purpose ultimately. It's more than companionship. It's meant to be a picture of something. So I know that as God invented marriage and He created this picture to be this beautiful thing, this picture of God's relationship to His people, His love for His people, His commitment to His people, His devotion to His people. That when people decide that I'm just going to have relationships however I want to, do you understand that what they're ultimately doing is they're saying, God, I don't care about you and what you think about how this should go. Ooh, that's scary. So if I address it, why am I addressing it? Because I love you. If I saw anybody shaking their fist at God, I would say, that's not a good idea. It's not. You shouldn't do that. You should accept God's way because God loves you. And he, he created this beautiful thing and you should enter into his views on things because he's God. For you to reject it is bigger than just choosing to have a different moral pattern. But what happens when you start addressing these things? What do people do? You're so judgmental. You're so critical. But we ought to expect this. This is exactly what happened to Paul. This is what happened to Jesus. Let me move on to my final one here. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas. Right? Paul and Silas end up moving on. And so I'm going to throw this in here as well. This is a tough one because it's easy when you're leaving and you're presenting the truth, it's easy to think, man, it it seems negligent for me to take a step back. Now, Paul doesn't leave Thessalonica permanently. He writes letters to them. He visits them again. But at this point, what does he do? He moves on. This is a tough lesson for me to learn. But it's one that I've really begun to grasp and just say, man, I love this part of it. Because what, what am I able to do now? I'm able to present the truth, try to persuade. I'm able to do these things. In fact, let me go through back through the steps. I'm fine. I, I get with people and I find some common ground. Okay? I take my time. I'm working up this, this, these arguments, these thoughts, this mental process. I'm trying to bring them to this place where they accept Jesus and understand who He is. So I'm presenting these different ideas, these different truths. I'm giving these arguments some substance. I'm adding to it, building on things that we know. I'm keeping my goal in mind. And even in the face of opposition, I'm able to press on. But then sometimes the opposition is so firm that I have to say, you know what, I have to step back from this. But understand when you do that, it's not neglecting that person. What are you doing? You're saying, I've laid out the truth. God, I'm going to acknowledge your role. I've, I've reached the limits of my capabilities to persuade. And what am I going to do now? God, I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm ready and willing to jump back in at any moment. As soon as soon If that person wants to talk more, I'm there. But Until they are, we can easily say the truth is there. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm always going to be nice to you. Be pleasant with you? I'm not going to try to shove it down your throat, though. I can trust God in these things. So I'm going to end with that thought. As you go out, right? This morning, let's think about me for a second. I gave you two reasons. Reason number one, what am I up to? I'm always trying to persuade each and every one of you that Jesus is worth it. Today, one of my side persuasions is that you each and every one of you can go out into this world and tell people about Jesus. You can do that. I've given you some pointers, I think, following Paul's pattern that might be a benefit to you. I think the first step there is at finding that common ground. You're talking with somebody, what, what's one thing? And you, Sometimes you have to stop and think about it with your head. Paul was reasoning and explaining and proving things. I mean, he's thinking through how to get these people from this place to this place. I know it's God's work ultimately, but man, I just want to be a part of it as much as I can. So you can do this too. Go into your world. You've got friends don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you've got some friends that say that they do, but you're going, I don't think so. What can you do? Find some common ground. Find some points of agreement. Look for ways that you can say, yeah, that's true. But did you know, try to take them one step further. One step further. Another step closer. Did you know the Bible said this? If they don't agree with Scripture, come at it a different way. If you need thoughts, you need help, feel free, come to me, I'll give you some ideas. One of my best conversations I ever had, uh, an ongoing conversation, was with a friend of mine down at Georgetown who was an atheist. Talk about common ground. But man, we found it. He loved kids. He loved teaching them. So did I. He cared about people. So did I. That's what I used as my footing. It was tough because as soon as I bring Scripture into it, he he automatically pulled back. His dad had been a pastor. I don't know what had gone on in his life, but there had been some issues, and and he, he had a distaste for anything Bible. By the end of the time before he left and he ended up going to work at another school, one of the things that he told me, he said, you know, I've had better conversations with you, Matt, than with anybody. And you know one of the reasons why? I would, listen, I would just listen to him. And if he said something wrong, I didn't go, oh, that's wrong. Stupid. God's real. You're a dummy. I didn't do that. Okay, that's, no, that, that would not have worked. What did I do? I said, well, it's interesting. You know, I've never thought about that before. And I was being genuine. He brought up things I hadn't thought about before. It's a good point. I tried to let him know that I'm, I'm willing to genuinely hear what he's got to say. And I found that the longer I did it, the more I did it, the more options came up. But first, he didn't want to hear anything. If I was talking about school, great. Kids, great. Education, wonderful. Jesus, forget it. By the end, he was starting to hear little tidbits. I was so hoping that he would get saved before he moved on. He didn't. But I was able to say, "I've, I've planted the seed." So I want to leave you with an illustration here before you go. It's an illustration I use when I think about how to teach children. The reality is when you teach kids, it, it, it's kind of the way a farmer works. I, a farmer can't really make anything grow. Can a farmer go, "I'm going to make that seed grow?" Oh! Is that how it works? No. What can they do? Till up the ground, plant the seed, till up the ground? Maybe put in an irrigation system, right? Sometimes there's things that they can't do. They're praying for sun, praying for some rain. But at the end of the day, they're absolutely dependent on God for that seed to grow. Same thing is true. You can do everything you can. You can try to plant the seed. You can water the seed. But who gives the increase? God does. Let me give you one more illustration. We're going to have a meal afterwards today, and I want to encourage you today. When we have our meal, if you can stay, you should stay. And I, I, I want to encourage you to while you're while you're sitting at this meal, uh, to talk to somebody else about this topic. Have you had trouble sharing with people? Have you had any successes? What's been some good things that have happened? What have you ever had any difficulties with sharing with somebody? Have you ever lost it and gotten mad when they weren't agreeing with you? Right. That's a good topic to talk about as we together as believers are discussing these things. I think you'll find a lot of encouragement from those things as you realize, wow, I'm not alone and struggling with knowing how to do this. But think about this meal for a second. I, a lot of times I think about sharing the gospel and presenting the gospel, uh, like, what do you call it, a mater d', right? The the person that brings, is that the right word I'm looking for? The guy that... so. I think of the gospel message as this amazing feast, right? And one of the things I want to do is is as as people are coming and I'm, I'm presenting them the gospel, I'm going, look at that, look at that prime rib. Look at the juice coming off of it, puddled around the bottom, right? Look at those mashed potatoes. There's not a lump in them. Unless you like that, we can get you that too. The butter on the top melting down, right? Look at these green beans, fresh out of the... That's what I think about when when I'm presenting the gospel and I'm talking about Jesus. that's, That's kind of what I feel like. I'm going, he's amazing. You want to participate in this. But the same thing, I cannot and nor should I take the prime rib and shove it in your throat. Some people, that's how they evangelize. Let's be honest, does that work? You know, there might be a few occasions where you do shove a piece of prime rib in somebody's throat and they go, hmm, that is actually pretty good. Okay, there there might be, okay, so my illustration isn't perfect, but I think for the most part, trying to shove the gospel down people's throats, does that work? No. And you don't ever see Jesus doing it. You don't ever see Paul doing it. You don't see any of the the authors, the the workers of the gospel message trying to shove the gospel. They, They present it. They describe it. They show themselves enjoying it themselves. It's kind of like if I then sat down at the prime rib and went, Mmm, this is delicious. Right? That's what we're doing. We're trying to get them to see, Oh, this is great. This is what I know some of you do with babies, right? You're trying to get them to eat the the baby food carrots. Mmm, look, it's yummy. You're not doing it though, are you? Mmm, it's yummy. You should try a bite. But that's what we do. The same thing is true as we present the gospel. We're seeing. this is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Taste and see the Lord. It's He's good, is He not? Let me ask you. I wasn't going to say this. Let me ask you. Anyone here? Say right now, God is so good. I know He is. Raise your hand if you say if you believe He is good. He is, isn't He? One of the biggest challenges that people have getting from where they are to where they need to be is they don't see it as good. There's so many things that you can do to help that process. You know it's God. You know it's God. I know it's you, Lord. We know that. But you enjoying the feast and showing it with your face, speaking about it with beautiful words, that's just you saying, God, I know that you're doing it, but but I just want to imagine for a moment what, what the Spirit does in somebody's heart. And I think the Spirit, that's what the Spirit's doing in somebody's heart. That he's, he's opening up their eyes to see how wonderful it is. And so I just go, I just kind of want to be a part of that. So I want to talk about it in a beautiful way. I want to talk about it because I love it. I to talk about the wonderful aspects of it. And I hope that in talking about it, some people go, oh, it must be amazing. I want in on that let's pray Heavenly Father God I just thank you for this day and Lord I do want to thank you for how good you are Lord I know that anything that anybody points to your good gospel and they point at it and they go that's bad they're, they are not, they're not right God, there's been many lies told about you but Lord the truth of who you are is amazing it's beautiful it's blessed it's full of grace. God, we hope as a people, I know each and every one of us in this room, there, there may even be specific ones that say, we say, Lord, I, I want them to see it. I know there's some in this room that have voiced it specifically. Yeah, I want them to see it so bad. I know there's some in here with brothers. Brothers. The spouses, aunts, uncles, ex-husbands, ex-wives, children. We just think, God, I just want them to see it so bad. I want to do anything I can. And And maybe you've been removed from the situation, but Lord, that's okay. We're going to put that in your hands. We're going to say, Lord, speak to them. I'm out of it now. I've done all that I could. Bring people into their life that will talk persuasively and that Your Spirit might persuade them to join into this amazing feast. I pray all of these things that You would strengthen us by the power of Your Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.